Good morning, everybody. Yisrochak Pesach. Andrew, coming out of the gate hot. Today, Bezat Hashem, we'll be learning Masechah Shkolim. Davtes Vav Amad Aleph. We'll start with Alok Adalid. Okay, so we got a little bit of a head start here. And that Mishnah says as follows. It's talking about, we're going to talk about Stucca today. Uh, for starters, and let's talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark, like literally. So let's start with Stucca. It says the Mishnah. So in the base of Mikdash, there were two chambers, right? Offices, chambers. Now the truth of the matter is, there were more than two. The next mission is going to say that there is an additional 13. Uh, but uh, this is the first two uh, chambers that are discussed in our Mishnah. So, achas lishkas lishkas But with regards to Tztaka and right, Trumos, and, in other words, giving to the base of Mikdash, so you had these two. One of them was Chashayin, which is sort of like uh, whisper, the whisper, the chamber of, of, of secrets, uh, if you will. Uh, discreet chamber. And the other one had utensils in it. So what's going on with the utensils? Let's see. Says the mission. The chamber of secrets. People who were Yori Shemaim would would deposit into that into that office, into that chamber, they would deposit money in there discreetly. Context is talking about people who are poor, but at some point in their family, they came from wealthy families, as the Gemara will discuss, and as uh, we know from Psukim and other Gemaras that we've seen already. The idea being that uh, wealth and poverty is cyclical, cyclical within each family, and so uh, it, it was certainly common uh, even in those days that you could have a wealthy, prominent family, and the descendants are not um, not wealthy in that way, and that becomes even harder, because when you grow up knowing from wealth, and you have a reputation of wealth, and in fact, you la- you you are, in fact, um, lacking for basic needs, it has a double, right, and it's a double uh, impact of feeling not only lacking, but also feeling not only impoverished, but also feeling embarrassed, and it just, it feels extra, um, embarrassing to receive tzedakah. You have an extra measure of pride whereby you don't want to receive the tzedakah directly. And we're going to see how this was designed in order to give the tzedakah discreetly. And that, in fact, will be the topic of our Gemara. Discreet ways uh, and sensitive ways to prioritize and to give tzedakah. So beautiful sugi over here. So be that as it may, the Anim B'nai Tovim. So these were poor people who came from like right, reputable wealthy families, but now they were destitute. So So this lishka was specially designed in order to enable them to take this staka discreetly for themselves. When nobody was looking, nobody knew, right? This is one of the highest form of uh, charity. The Rambam, right, discusses the, in, in Hilchas Matnas Anim, uh, the levels, takes you level by level, eight levels of staka. The highest level being what Andrew Singer does, to try to train people uh, to get a job or to give them a job. That is the highest level. But, Right, just below that is it's stuck where nobody knows who they're giving to and nobody knows who they're receiving from. And that is very discreet and it's very sensitive to those who are receiving the tzedakah. And this way, the person who's giving is foregoing any kavod, um, right, or any res- or anybody, any reciprocity. And the person who's taking is foregoing any embarrassment. And so that is, in fact, a very high level. And that was designed in this Chamber of Secrets in the base of Mikdash in order to facilitate tzedakah in that way. Okay. So that is what the Lishkas HaChashayim was, says the Mishnah. Lishkas HaKelim. The right, the kalim lishka call me shehu misnadiv kli zirkol asocha. Right, you have to listen carefully. If your wife tells you to go to the kalim, if you don't want to go to the kalim lishka by accident, because what you do in the kalim lishka is you throw the kalim into this chamber. Now, some kalim, right, like we know some of the ladles, etc., and pans are actually can be used by the base of mikdash. But you know, what, what are you going to do with um, random forks and things that maybe aren't necessarily going to be used in the base of mikdash? What's going on here? So says the mishnah, the achas lishloshim yom once in thirty days. So they open up this, this lishka and they see all the kalim that are thrown around there. So sometimes you get a useful utensil. It could be even a hammer or whatever. And you say, you know what? This will be good. 
this will be good to, um, you know, to, to do some of the shiputzim, to do some of the work around the, the base of Ekdash, around the temple. This will be nice for spackling. This will be nice to, for all these kinds of other things. And that they could use. Uh, and so they'll take it. The hashar nim karin. And here everything was donated. So what if you got something that made, uh, that, that you didn't need? So then you go for it. And, and, you, and you throw it in, and what the base makers are going to do is they're going to sell that item, and then they just use the proceeds in order to uh, have that money to pay for whatever paint or spackle or whatever other things you need for maintenance of the base of the Okay. So this is talking about the idea of the the idea of giving stuck of a giving stuck of discreetly. So this was the job of Yaakov and Yitzchak They were community leaders. And the way they gave tzedakah discreetly to certain people as they had a designated individual. His name was Rav Chama, and he was the father of Yeshua. And they would give him a dinar. Now, a dinar was a large denomination. They would say, here, you get sort of like a stipend, so to speak. Choronin. Choronin, or, um, when you're learning your shalmi, and you don't know exactly what the word means, adding an aleph in the beginning uh, helps a lot. That's a Shalom Rosner trick. Life hack. So, acharonim is la'acherim, la'acharonim. Right? So, he's giving it to li'acharonim, and meaning he gives it to others. What is this talking about? So, again, Everybody knew who the communal sort of like uh, leaders of the Kupa Shotzdaka were. So everybody would know if, if they see somebody from the Kupa Shotzdaka at someone's house, and so they could be collecting, but they could be giving. But the people who were, right, what was described in the mission as the Anim Bnei they you need to give them Tzedakah more with more sensitivity and discretion. And those people were given that Tzedakah sometimes by a different individual. So that individual would get a large sum from the Kupa Shotzdaka, and he would go um, in more discreet fashion so as to not embarrass the Anim Bnei Okay. Similarly, another story. A lot of lessons to be learned from the story, Andrew. You have Rav Zechariah, who was the son-in-law of Rav Levi. And, his, uh, and for a large portion of his life, he was the subject of much gossip in his community. They were malizin alav. Amrin, uh, The hawk about him, all of these scuttlebutt about him, was that he was taking from communal funds when he didn't need it. They said, he doesn't need it, he's fine. He's, he's doing very well, believe me. And yet we know, we see him getting from the Gabay Tzedakah, and so he's taking funds for, uh, as if he was an ani, but he's not. Like, like uh, reporting zero income on his income taxes and getting all these benefits, but he really is also going to Orlando. He still hasn't been back from uh, Orlando for Pesach. See what I'm saying, Andrew? Mintadamach, when he passed away, turns out they checked and they found that he was in fact the guy that was giving the tzedakah to others. In other words, the reason why it looked like he was receiving from the Gabet tzedakah, even though he was himself not in need of such funds, was because he was in fact the guy that had been singled out to give to the, right, Aniyam B'nai Tovim B'seser, to give it to them discreetly. And, that, and because that was his role, he was always getting money from the Kupa Shetzlaka, but not for himself, to give to others. So you should never judge. Um, you can never know, and you never know what's going on, and you never judge. This was people that were hosted him, uh, only to find out that, in fact, he was a tzaddik among them, taking care of the poor, which is one of the biggest mitzvahs. Uh, Rabbi Rosen, in fact, points out, tzaddik is the only mitzvah where it, there's no requirement of lishma. One might say that this could be true of just about anybody on the Mechavira. If you do something for someone else, so then your kavana, and, and you do chesed, your kavana is not uh, quite as critical. Just the fact that the act of the chesed itself is in itself a tremendous, tremendous thing that, uh, that is a tremendous mitzvah. Uh, the other thing is, you'll see, we'll see over here in the Gemara, when you say mitzvah, uh, stam mitzvah, without any, without any uh, qualification as to what it is referring to, it's usually referring to tzedakah. So we see the, the, how, how tzedakah and the benam l'chaver or chesed is so prominent. It's, it's at the very beginning, we're about to hit Shavuos. Rus was, right, Rus, the, uh, the, the mother ultimately of David Melech, she came into the, right, she came into the fold with this idea of chesed first and foremost, right? This idea of chesed, 
is so prominent for us. And so that is over here, of Chinon Bar Papa, in the next story, one of Bar Papas, hopefully we're making a lot of Siyumim, we're going to be learning over the next 11 months about eight Mesechtes, God willing. So Chinon Bar Papa, who we'll re, re, we will be referring to at every Siyum, one of his children, have a Maplik Mitzvah Belele. So here it says, you see, it says he used to distribute, what Mitzvah it says. So what, what is it, the word Mitzvah? So Mitzvah Stam means Tzedakah. So he used to give Tzedakah at night. That, that was the way Right, that he was able to give the mit, the tzedaka, um, discreetly, so that nobody would be embarrassed. So Chazman Pogabe Rabhan Ruchaya. One time he met, this is harkening back to the end of Sakim where you have the Shadim over here. And so he he hit up on one of the Shadim, the, the the chief evil spirit of the night, as he's giving tzedaka, because these guys are hanging out at night more so than anything else. Amalei, Lokain Alfan Rebi. So this evil spirit chief told Rav Khanina Barpapa, he said, Didn't you, Rebbe, uh, hey Rabbi? Didn't you say, in other words, hey, what are you doing on my turf? Meaning, what are you doing out here at night? Night is the turf of the Shadim, and you're walking around on my turf. Go away. So, responded with a different Pasuk. The Pasuk says in Mishle, right, that person who gives is going to overturn, overturn anger. Um, the art scroll note adds the idea that Af was in fact one of the names of the evil spirits, which makes sense in the context of the Hemshech Gemara, because what happens in the Hemshech Gemara is as follows. The evil spirit was frightened of this and ran away So why, from, his, from his place. So, so why would he be so frightened from this Pasuk? So if you say like this, so it makes sense. He was so right, bewildered because that means that he was in a spot, right? The evil spirit thought that Rav Chinonabar Papa was on his turf. It turns out that he was giving Matam de Cesar, which means that he would overturn the evil spirit. In fact, the evil spirit better get out of there before something uh, calamitous happens to him. So you see that um, one thing that you can do at night is use it as cover for the giving of tzedakah. Certainly, giving tzedakah de Cesar is a more powerful, right, uh, than than whatever um, danger there would be of walking out at night. Okay. Right? Because after all, it's an issue. Uh, there is a. Uh, a little bit of controversy here that the Tiklan Chadatin uh, sparks by mentioning that Shluchay Mitzvah in a Nizokin. Um, thing is, right, this concept of when you're doing a Mitzvah anyway, you're not going to be in trouble. But the problem is that the Sugyas over there uh, discuss that that's only true if, uh, if you're under regular circumstances, but it does not mean that you're allowed to throw yourself into a situation of, of great Sakana and assume that the, that the Shluchay Mitzvah is going to save you. That you can't do. You can't say Shluchay Mitzvah. So, so the question is, is going out at night an application of Shluchay Mitzvah in Nizokin becomes a discussion of even that we don't have time for, but that, that, was made. that is uh, the issue here. But, but uh, certainly going out at night in this context um, because of Matana Besetar, that specific Mitzvah, of tzedakah, b'seser, certainly one could do uh, under the cover of night. Okay. More charity with sensitivity. A story. Amar He says, person who gives tzedakah to the poor, right, it says it should be ashrei, it should be praiseworthy. So he says that, however, is not what the Pasuk says. You would think that the Pasuk would say that praiseworthy is the person who gives to the poor, but that's not what the Pasuk says. Ella, the Pasuk, this is in Tehillim, says, Ashrei maskil eldal, not nosen eldal, but maskil eldal, which means he's thinking, he's contemplating. Okay, so I had a little homiletics here. So what it really means in the Gemara here is the person who thinks in terms of the way in which he's going to give the tzedakah. That is going to, that, that's the person who is praised. That, that, that's a beautiful idea. In other words, you're praising not only the act of tzedakah, as we said, doesn't require kavana, but this, this seems to imply that kavana, or at least uh, the methodology is important. That doesn't mean that you don't give any thought to it at all. You should contemplate the best way to give and the most sensitive way to give tzedakah. I wanted to add homiletically, maskil el dal, that it's not, that, that like even more so, it's a thought that counts. Meaning, right, that, that it starts from being sensitive to and thinking about the aniyim. That's the source of, right, of the praise. The idea that you're so sensitive that you're thinking, who can I give tzedakah to? Right, if you, if you actually go to somebody, um, 
and, and you approach them because you think you, they might need it, very often people are in a situation of need and they're embarrassed to, um, to, right, to enlist, so to speak, amongst people who need. Sometimes you get the opposite, where people are more than happy to take, but sometimes you get people who don't want to take and they really uh, suffer. So if you think, if you give thought, who might need, how might they need, uh, etc. This is what, you know, again, not to embarrass Andrew, this is uh, right when he starts with his uh, guilt projects and things like that. The idea of thinking, how can we help people that everyone needs to make a living? How can we help? It's, the, it's a very, very high form of bin al-Nachavera. So anyway, such a person, such a danger should be praised. So in this context, it says, This refers to a person who looks at this mitzvah. Again, mitzvah stam means tzaka. How the best way to do it in the most discreet way is a person who should be praised. Okay. So, Kate's asked the Mark. Kate's asked the He said, how would Rabbi himself, who said the statement, how, what was his modus operandi? He says the Mark. So he saw, right, this phrase we said before, a person who was once wealthy and now is in uh, desperate need of funds, and he sees the Yarad min Chasav in Israel, they say, Pashat Regel, Chasav right? That he fell from, uh, fell, fell from grace in terms of his finances. So, so he did the following thing. He would, instead of embarrassing him, he said, you know, I heard that you got a, a wealthy inheritance from somewhere. I heard that you did well in the stock market, or you got an inheritance, and then, you know you know what? I want a piece of the action. So let me give you some money. I'm going to invest in you. Let me give you some money. And then when you get that inheritance, you'll pay me back. How is he, how is he explaining this to a person who, whether it's happening or, or not? So if the person is really destitute, he might not refute it. And the Tikhna explains it's not even really lying because really he is going to get the inheritance, as we'll see. Uh, the Gemara continues, says, have a nasiv, when, once the per- poor person takes the money, have a matanahi lach. Right, so he would say at that point, he would say, you know what, just keep it, it's fine. In other words, as soon as he finally, as soon as he can sort of coax that individual to accept it under the pretense that he's going to pay him back, he actually tells him it's a matana. This way, the person is spared even that momentary um, right, embarrassment of having to take from somebody else because at that moment, it's as if it's a loan, and then it becomes a loan forgiveness, right? Um, it's a. It's, it's an amazing thing. A lot of times, people when they loan somebody money, right? They they, they say, oh, you know, you give you loan that money, you loan money to somebody, you're never going to see it back or whatever. There are people who will try to take loans and then and then won't be able to pay back their loans. So obviously, uh, lenders who can't afford to do so, um, you know, should be aware of that. But on the other hand, people who want to give tzedakah in the most right uh, discreet way, so maybe lending it in air quotes to somebody uh, like this and then forgiving it afterwards is, is something like Rabiona did, that could be a way of doing it to avoid embarrassment for that person. Uh, amazing how far you can go as far as um, when, you, when your attitude is one of giving, uh, it, could really, it could really make a big difference in, in, uh, in people's lives. Okay, so let's talk about some Aniyim who had tremendous faith. Chiyabar Ada is Abbasavin biyomenon. So Chiyabar Ada said that in our days, they were those savin, right, like Saba. They were all, some elders in our day. That they would accept uh, charity between Reish Shasa, Rosh Hashanah, and Sama Rabbah, which is Yom Kippur. The only time they would ever accept charity, is an interesting uh, sort of hashkafic slash halachic uh, question, they would only accept charity between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Why so? Uh, because havu nesavin min basar then havu nesavin then they would accept charity min basar kein lo havu nesavin but later on past Yom Kippur they would not accept charity amen deshasan gaban they would say our year is already upon us so what is it going on here well we already learned and we will learn again on second basis soon that ksuvin lo mazonus of shel adam mirashanah rashanah that in rashanah they in fact declare how much money you're going to give so the attitude of these people was now that was declared in rashanah but not decreed until Yom Kippur. Uh-huh. And and the amount you're going to get lasts until the following Rosh Hashanah. So if you do the math, so to speak, so what happens is between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, that's when it's being decided. That period of time is not accounted for financially. That's not in the ledger. So then they would accept the tzedakah. But once it's decided Yom Kippur how much money you're going to be making that year, then they felt the following. That that the rest of the year, that was already allotted to them by Kodesh Baruch Hu, such that whatever they accepted in the form of tzedakah, that would just be taken away from, they would have received that money anyway from a different source. So they were such, so to speak, tzaddikim, right? They were, th- their attitude was, you know what? I don't want to take away from the anim, 
right? I don't want to take away from the Aniyam. So if I don't take it from Tzaka, I'll get it in a different way anyway. Let that Tzaka go to the real Aniyam. Now, of course, if all the Aniyam had this attitude, there'd be no uh, money to give to the Aniyam. So, but, but you see that there's uh, sort of extreme attitudes, both in terms of people going out of their way to give as much as they possibly can, as well as on the receiving end, people who didn't want to take. Um, and so these people did not want to take because they figured it's coming to them anyway from Yom Kippur to the next Rosh Hashanah. So to those people, you probably gave a lot between Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. Okay, more about sensitive treatment of Aniyim. Nehemiah ish shichin. Nehemiah was a, was a pit digger. Okay, that, that's, a, that's a job. Andrew, you should look into that pit digging uh, resume building. So, Pagaba Yerushalmi Echad. He met a Yerushalmi. This, this tickled Birnbaum for some reason. He thought, he never saw that, that idea of somebody describes Yerushalmi in the Talmud Babylon. Anyway, Right, so the Yerushalmi said to Nehemiah, he said, this is interesting, you should gain right schos with me by giving me a Cornish hen, which was a fancy dish in those days. Uh, very hard to find Cornish hens in those days uh, in, 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 uh, in Israel or Babel. So anyway, he says, so this is also uh, an interesting lashon. He says, uh, I can be mezaki you by giving this to me. The truth is, it is. It's a big schus, right? Our attitude should be that it's a big schus to be able to give somebody something. And here, um, right, the Yushami is explaining to him that he's used to Cornish hens, and it would be a big schus for, right, for Nehemiah to give him such a Cornish hen, because that is a tremendous uh, mitzvah of tzedakah to give him what he's been used to. I used to have in the, uh, in the airport, when I used to go back and forth, people would come up to me and they say, uh, I'm going to give you this close of paying for me to go to Uman. Like in the airport, they, they want me to buy them a ticket for Uman. They showed up to the airport thinking somebody's going to buy them a ticket to Uman. So I told them I wasn't sure, right? That's already, it's not, it's not clear that leaving Eretz Israel to go to Uman is a bigger mitzvah. Maybe it's a bigger mitzvah to stay in Eretz Israel. I mean, that as it may, if you have a, a, a uh, person who is destitute, but is used to Cornish hands, that certainly is a mitzvah to give it to him. However, I'm a light. Nehemiah said, why Cornish hands? I'll give you some basso coffee. I'll buy you a shawarma. Shawarma is delicious. Okay, right? So, so sure enough, he took the money for the shawarma. He was hungry. He goes to Halotaman, gets a shawarma, and he died. Because his digestive system wasn't used to Halotaman. It was used to Cornish hen. So to that, Nehemiah started crying. He said, come everybody, come, and eulogize Nehemiah's victim. Nehemiah felt obviously terrible. He felt uh, responsible for the death of this individual because he, he was, should have given him the Cornish hen. He thought that it would be good enough to just give him a shawarma. Who doesn't love a shawarma from the It turns out that that was not a good decision because of the digestive system. The lesson for us here is to try to be sensitive when we're dealing with people who fall from a financial um, situation, uh, as we know, in Stucco, you want to give that person and try to the best you can maintain whatever love they had, or at least, you know, uh, in order, in order to, so not to be a shock to their system, as in this very extreme case. Okay. Here's a tragic story with a very famous individual that's going to bring up some, um, uh, some hashkafic issues that we're not going to be able to have time to discuss, but at least we'll, we'll, we'll bring out some of the questions. But it comes from the very famous Rabbi of Rabbi Akiva, the man by the name Nachum Ish Gamzu. Here he is. Nachum Ish Gamzu, Hayamolich Doron Okay, so the famous Nachum Ish Gamzu is walking, bringing a gift to his father-in-law's house. Okay. Pogambo Mukashchidechad, he meets a, like a nebuch, a sickly person with boils on the side of the road on his way. He's transporting a whole bunch of stuff to his father-in-law. Um, and fruit, donkeys, a whole bunch of things. And, um, you know, I, saw, I saw somewhere in the note, um, where does it say it, that, that, that he had it? Um, oh, I think that there's a, there's a version in, in uh, Titus where he's bringing all this stuff. Anyway, so he's bringing all of this stuff over to his, right, right in Titus Chafalev. Uh, Donkey loves of fruit and drinks, delicacies, all kinds of stuff. So he meets a, like a beggar on the side. So, you, so now, this presents a conundrum, right? You're supposed to, he's on his way to do a mitzvah, really. He's bringing it to his father-in-law. So, and he's in a rush, right? He wants to be able to bring it to him with alacrity, as quickly as he can. However, somebody's on the side of the road. So Amalei, so the man says to him, Give me from so, yeah, he sees this laden carriage with all these delicacies, he says, Give me something, can, can I please have something? So Amalei, so says, uh, when I come back, right? A lot of times you go, let's say, into the supermarket, and there's somebody or a store, somebody's on the outside of the store asking you for money. So you say, You know what? When I get out, 
I'll give you. This is a very common thing. Right, right now, I don't have any change, but I'm going to buy something. I'll have change on my way out when people used to use money. And, uh, and I'll give you then. Oh, so, so that's what he said. Because he was in a rush, right? He was in the middle of a mitzvah, essentially, right? So you could justify it. However, Chazar when he came back, he saw that, that the individual had perished on the side of the road of Khalilah. So now you're, now he feels like, okay, had he known how dire the situation was, certainly, uh, that would have been, Pikuach Nefesh, that would have been more important, right? Than rushing to his father-in-law. But he didn't realize that. He didn't have that sensitivity. Nacham Ishkamzu was extremely harsh on himself over this. Nachav Gamzu says to the corpse of this individual lying on the side of the road, May the eyes that saw you but didn't give you right away, may the eyes become blind. Referring to himself, And the hands that didn't stretch out to give you that stuck should be cut off. And the legs did not run to give you, may they be broken. And sure enough, all of these calamities befell Nachav Gamzu. So he became, he lost his arms and, 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 and he broke his legs and he lost his sight. Incredible, incredible, uh, curse that he gave himself. This is how self-flagellation that Nakamish Gamzu went through. This is how incredibly guilty he felt for this. So now his Talmud, his famous Talmud Rabbi Kiva, comes to visit him once he's in these dire straits. Tzalak Rabbi Rabbi Kiva. Rabbi Kiva comes and I'm like, Elish, I need Oi. Oi, to me, it's terrible for me to see you like this. So I'm like, his Rabbi says to him, Elish, ain't I This is where it gets weird, right? And Nakamish Gamzu says to him, well, uh, it's terrible for me to not see you in the state that I'm in now. To which Rabbi Kiva responds, I'm a lay, what, what is that supposed to mean? You're cursing me that I should be in that state? I, that's confusing to me. So I'm a lay, and This is very hashkafically problematic. Well, I would say difficult to understand. Right? Rav Nakhmish Gamza says, what, are you, are you uh, saying that Yisurin aren't a great thing? Um, so as if to say to Rabbi Kiva, they should be him for this terrible affliction. So the reason I'm saying this is hashkafically problematic, we discussed already, and you remember Brachos Tafhei, Yisurin, right, back in the day. When we were talking about the different Yisurin and certain Yisurin you should accept, certain Yisurin you shouldn't accept, the way that these Tamir Chachamim handled Yisurin. So the question is, how do you, how do you reconcile that uh, with the fact that now you have Nachim Gamzo isn't going to be able to do mitzvahs, he isn't going to be able to, 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 to learn the same way, he's not going to be able to give stuck in the same way, he's not going to be able, you know, all these things of running to do stuck and all these things uh, are going to be compromised now. So how do you reconcile that? Is it, uh, uh, apparently there's a piece in the Mikhlev Melio about this I didn't get a chance to look at. Uh, we don't have time to get into the shkaf of it, but at the very least, um, the most of that we can understand here, so a couple of things. First of all, right, certainly not at this level necessarily, but uh, certainly a person who, who gets Yisurim e- e- should understand that they should, should not get Yisurim, e- but maybe should grow from it. Uh, Rabbi Kiva himself was uh, in that context of Yisurim e- to be one of the Asar Rugi Malchus and to give his nefesh famously as he was burnt in the stake um, and to say Shema B'chol Nafshecha. Um, but, um, but that we can't relate to, but it's at the very least, to the extent that it relates to tzedakah, right, it should be, um, a, uh, right, a motivation to try to give tzedakah maybe on the way in as opposed to waiting on the way out, not to wait and to try to be as zorious as we can in the mitzvah of tzedakah. Okay. Another story. Rosha Rabbahav, Rabbi Divrei Chadzagin Rabbi was a great teacher, and the teacher of his son, right, he had, his son had a Rebbe who was blind. Rabbi Yosha used to dine with him every night. And one time he had guests, and he didn't come, to, to dine with his son's blind Rebbe. Uh, perhaps he thought that it would be uncomfortable for his guests to bring them. He didn't know how they would handle being with a blind person. Not everybody was comfortable in those circumstances. So, but he felt bad. He wasn't bad not being sensitive to this person. So, that evening, he goes up to the blind Rebbe's house to apologize. I'm a light. The usher said to him, please don't be angry with me. Begin to have a yomadin. Yomadin means uh, this today. Not yom hadin, yomadin, today. Because I had guests today, and I didn't know like how you know how they would behave. I wanted. I said to myself, I don't want to. I don't want them to be mevazi you. I don't really know these people. They were unexpected guests. I figured uh, I'll just dine with them and then I'll come to you after. So begin. That's why I didn't come to you for dinner tonight. That was like a Hebrew, the Rabbi Yosha, who was a great, 
uh, Rebbe, that was the keeper that he ate with, the, with his uh, son's uh, Rebbe every night, but they said that was the reason why I couldn't do so tonight. So Amalei, so the blind Rebbe said, You have been mefayes, you've appeased um, one who is seen but cannot see, right? That is blind people that can't see, but they are in fact seen. So he, who, may he, who sees but cannot be seen, meaning a Kodesh Baruch Hu, shall accept your appeasement. He's the one that could accept your appeasement. Uh, it's a bracha. So Amalei, so Rebbe said, That's a good one. Where did you get that one? That's a beautiful statement. So I'm a lay, Mary Lesbian Yaakov. I heard this from Lesbian Yaakov. Lesbian Yaakov, all had the second carte. Because of the following story, blind people knew this uh, famous story. The one time Lesbian Yaakov um, went to, uh, once met a blind man who came to the city. And Yosef Lay, Lesbian Yaakov, Laramine. And Lesbian Yaakov was mechabed him in a special way. The special way was apparently there was some sort of incline, and they were eating, and he was eating in a social configuration where he was beneath. The blind person, it's a way of showing respect to this blind person, showing that Rebbe Yaakov, who's a great Rebbe, was in fact uh, putting him, so to speak, on a pedestal to show that he was a great man, this blind person. So the Yamer, the reason he did it explicitly, so that people should say, this blind man had not been such a great person. Lezim Yaakov would not have put him on such a pedestal. Must be, this blind person was a great person, and Abdin Leit Parnasa de Iker. So once they realized that he was a great person, then they were mafinous to him, everybody wanted to do business with him, and this blind person started doing very, very well um, by virtue of getting the endorsement of Lezim Yaakov. So it's a very sensitive thing that Lezim Yaakov saw, did, seeing that this person was blind. Amar alone, at this point, the blind person, realizing what was going on, first he said, Mawahachin, what is this about? Like, why am I all of a sudden uh, getting all these business proposals? Amar Leit. So they explained to him, Lezim Yaakov, he had not seen it because he was blind, but they explained to him, you didn't realize where Lezim Yaakov was sitting in such a position to, as so as to be Mahabit you and to treat you like a great person, so that's why everyone is uh, treating you such. So when the blind person realized what happened, so he davened on his behalf, and he prayed and said, That's where he came up with the following tefillah, which became a famous statement, which is, you who bestowed kindness on those who seen but cannot see, namely the blind, so too he who can see but is cannot be seen, namely the should be gomel chesed for you. Okay, back to stories about proper distribution and attitude towards giving tzedakah. The following story. Rabbi Chama Bar Chanina Rabbi Oshia have a metallic be'ilain t'neish to the Lod. They're strolling around uh, the great uh, the great synagogues over there, the great shuls in Lod. Amar Rabbi Chama Bar Chanina Rabbi Oshia Kama Maman Shikor Rabbi Chanina Rabbi Chanina says to this great aforementioned Rabbi Oshia he says, look at, look at how much money, right, my, uh, my, my, Parents and all, all my family sunk into these beautiful shuls. To which Amalei Rishon said, "Come and fetch a shikov sechakan." Says, "How many lives they sank into the shul?" Lohava is b'nei nash dulin baraisa. There's nobody to learn Torah in there because they could have taken that money. Is the point? Priorities in stucco. Uh, can't not mention Milty Pfeiffer who commissioned a book. Uh, he's he's Rabbi Isaacson's father-in-law, Sharon Isaacson's father. There's Zain Gizunt in Staten Island wrote a book about priorities in stucco. So here he says you should have supported the guys in learning. It would be better to support a colon to build these beautiful shuls. It's an interesting halachic question. It's a real halachic question. This is a halachic question that has a tshuva and a chsam cipher, I saw in the article note, and, and there's a question in the rush whether there's even a shayla. I mean, if you, certainly, if you can do both, it's great to do both. But if you could only do one, either support people in learning or build a shul, supporting people in learning, certainly, uh, and this Kamara implies, is a higher value because what's the point of the building if you can't have people to learn in it? Similarly, Rabbi Avon Avon delayed the Tarei. Rabbi Avon donated money uh, to make beautiful gates for the yeshiva. And... As we turn to Tesavim Beis, so this is this is Rabbah for the great Yeshiva. Also, Rabbi Manu Lagabe, Rabbi came to him and Amalei. Rabbi said to him, "Chamei my Avid, do you see what I did?" So Amalei, for Yishkach Israel, so say, "Vayven Nechalos." Wow, that's kind of harsh. It's pasuk in Hosea, where he's explained where they're basically saying that Klal Yisrael forgot Hashem, and they built in, in that context. It means like basically houses of Vodazara, but the but right, but he used that pasuk to show him that this is not necessarily the attitude. The beautiful gates of Yeshiva is beautiful, but. As the Gemara continues to say, Lohava Bnei Nash Dilun Baraisa. Right, you have beautiful gates, but you don't have any Tamil Chamim in there because you can't afford to learn because you could have used the money better to support them. That is the Sugya of Tzedakah. Beautiful. Now, just getting into the, um, the, the Kalim the room. So let's see. Um, 
so the Mishnah says that it, the Mishnah had said that again, you donated the kalim to that room, and you would use the kalim right if they were appropriate for the base mikdash. And if not, you would sell them and use the proceeds for the bedekabai. It says the Gemara Tani. We have a bryson. The funds right were taken out from kachim In other words, if you had something kachim that were for the mizbeach, you could take that which is needed that's left over for bedekabai. Right. However. Uh, but you can't take from Mikachim Mizbeach and consecrate that for Berekabai. So that is challenged from our Mishnah because we learned in our Mishnah, they say that any Kli that you found that's used for Berekabai, for, for, for Kabai you could use, and the rest you would sell. Okay, well, the question is that the Mishnah doesn't say the proceeds could go to the Berekabai and for also the uh, Karbanas. So it sounds like you're not allowed to use the Bedekabite stuff for the Karbonus. It sounds like you can only use it for Bedekabite. So the Gemara answers, masnisa. The correct explanation of the Mishnah is the Lishka's Bedekabite. Not that you use it for Bedekabite, but if you put it in the uh, Lishka of the Bedekabite, right? So, so then, um, it's not speaking that you're bringing it for uh, outside things, right? For, like, like Karbonus, but it means that you're bringing it back to the Lishka's uh, Bedekabite. Hajan Allah Munim. Now we start, um, right? And now we're going to start the sixth parak. And halacha one of our Mishnah, Shlosha Asar Shofar. So as we mentioned before at the fortuitous hour of almost 613, um, the idea of the different Lishkas. So we signaled out two Lishkas, the Chamber of Secrets and, and the Chamber of Kalim. And now we have 13 more. And while we mention 13 more, the Mishnah is going to mention other 13s. Shlosha Asar Mi in the base of Mikdash as follows. It says the Mishnah, Shlosha Asar Shofar, Shlosha Asar Shulchanas, Shlosha Asar Hishtach Abayos Mikdash. There are 13. Right, shofaris are collection chests. The Gemara is going to explain why they're mentioned. We already mentioned it's named the shofar because of its shape. The Gemara will uh, be more specific. Shlashas shulchanas. There were thirteen tables. We'll discuss what that is, and, and also thirteen places where you would write actually be mishtachave in the base of mikdash. Now, with regards to those thirteen places of hashtachava, there was a machlokas. As it says, shall be, the Mishnah continues to say shall base rabban gamil shall base rabichanines kan kohanim. The famous rabichanines kan kohanim, uh, as we mentioned earlier in mishtachim hayu mishtachavin be'arba esrei. Right, they would actually bow down in 14 places, not just 13. What was this 14th extra place? We're going to see. Opposite the wood chamber, where they would chop uh, the wood. Okay. But this Gana Kohanim, we're going to discuss, we're going to learn Yuma soon, so we're going to understand the role. And all the wood, right, the wood had to be located somewhere. Uh, we'll see in Masechus Midos exactly where it is. It's in the Ezra's Nashim on the northeast corner. This has becomes very important. Because in the Ezra's Nashim, the northeast corner, in this wooden chamber, was something potentially very, very important, as we'll see. So, Maisa, okay, so then, I mean, Babasa, Hechadis, they said, Dear So, why was that an additional place where they would, right, they would bow? Shekain, Misoras, Biyadin, Mavosay, and they had a tradition, Shasham Ha'aro, Nignaz. There it is. That is where the lost ark was, literally. Okay, we're going to talk all about the Geniza of this ark. First, Maisa, Bakar, Nechad, Shayam, Bisasek. So, one time there was a Kohen. He was busy in the wood chamber doing his thing. Literally, like a scene from, right? Uh, from a story where, they, where he sees that one of the tiles in the wooden chamber is different than the other tiles, something's up here. There's a disturbance in the tile and floor. Bob Armachaveri told his friend, as soon as he's uh, telling his friend, as soon as the words come out of his mouth, he passes away. That's how they knew that that's where the ark was, was hidden. The Bible says, Tanya, Shafaris halalu akumasayu. So first, let's start discussing these Shafaris. Why are they called Shafaris? Well, they had a curve to them. That was the shape, right? Was it a trapezoid? Did it look exactly like a shofar? Whatever it was, it was narrow on the top. And it was wide on the bottom. Mind now remind, right? That way people can only put in, but they can't reach in to get out. So you could put it in and there's enough space inside these shafaros to put in a lot, but you can't reach your hand inside to grab out money. Okay. Now let's talk about the lost ark. Tani, Bishem Rebbe Yazar. In the name of Yazar, Aron Galim on So there's a whole story, right? The Aron, right? There was a Gullus. The Aron went with them. There's a Machlokas here. Did the Aron go in Gullus or was it hidden? Matam, what's the reason they, that we think that the Aron may have gone to, with them to Bavel? Because, Lo Yivater Davar Amar Hashem. 
There's a whole story. The story is in Malachim Beis um, and elsewhere. This is the King Chizkiyo. Um, this was this was not this was not a good idea. Chizkiyo he showed all of, off all of his wealth, including the Aron Kodesh, to the entire all the kings of Bavel. Yeshayahu uh, told him this is not a good idea, and he was explaining to him that whatever he shows, everything is going to be carried off. This is Yeshayahu admonishing King Chizkiyo. He says, "Stop showing off all the stuff. Whatever you show off, they're going to take." It says in the, in the pasuk, he says, "Loi vaser devar He's not going to leave over anything. Oh, there's every single thing that he's going to leave that you're going to show. The, the these when we get right ex- exiled, it's all going to be taken away. Now the word loi vaser devar means nothing will be left. But also says the Gemara, "Ain davar dibros that the Aseris Adibros are in it, namely the Ark. Now, the Aram. Now, this is really one of the sources that they're called Aseris We are used to it, but it doesn't say Aseris Adibros in the Torah. This is where we start seeing that they're referred to as Aseris Adibros. So, this is the source for it, basically. Okay. And sure enough, there's another source, a Pasuk that says explicitly, Nebuchadnezzar, right, brought the Bavel together with all the Klechemdas. What's Klechemdas? Says the Gemara, is a Klechemdas, Beis Hashem, they are Aram. Right? That's, that's the ultimate Klechemda, is the Aram. So that's one opinion. However, that's a machlokis. Rabbi Yehuda ben Lakish Omer, No, the Aaron didn't go out to Galus and Bavel. Rather, it was hidden in place. What's his source? It says, What's going on here? So the poles, right, were attached to the Aaron. And they were not seen from the outside, but they did protrude somewhat, right? This is in Malachim Aleph. And that basically described the installation of the Aaron in the Bais Rishon. Okay, so that must be that they're still there now because it says in that in that context of that pasuk, right? Until they remain there and So that is uh, it's, a, it's a discussion. It's actually uh, I understand according to Shalom Razner, a machlokis Rashi and Ramban ala Torah whether it which of these two sheetas we actually believe. Um, we, we hold like is it still there or is it in fact was it taken away? Okay, now uh, a little digression about the the, the steer at the end of this pasuk. It says that they were seen. But you say that they were not seen. So were these were these bottom seen or not seen? There's a there's a steer in the pesukim. So it says the gemara. Right. So in other words, like if you have protrusions in your sh- and and you see it through the shirt, so you can see that there's a protrusion, but you don't actually see the the bottom, right? You only see that there are in fact uh, bottom there. So now we have these two opinions about where the lost ark is. And so now we have a third opinion, uh, which is actually like the one in our Mishnah, right? Because we said the Mish- one possibility is that the owner is exactly where it was. It stayed. The other possibility went all the way out the Babel and Tagalus. And the other one is our Mishnah. Their Mishnah says that it was under a loose floorboard in the Lishkas Ha'etzim in the northeast corner of the, of the Azus Nashim. The Rabbanan Amri, the rabbis say, but Lishkas Dir Ha'etzim Ayaron Ganos, that the Aron was, in fact, the lost ark is in the bottom, hidden in the, in the chamber of the wood. And then it says it's very similar to our Mishnah story of a coin who, in fact, in this context, in this story, he was a Balmum, which means that he wasn't doing Kabanos. That's why he's kind of like patching around in that area. He can't do the avoda because he's a balmum, but he can peel wood uh, in the chamber of the eitzim. So he's idly peeling wood and noticing that one of the tiles in the lishka is off. Bob he tells his friend, something cool is up over here. Immediately he passes away when he's telling his friend, that's how they knew that that's where the Aaron in fact was hidden, under the loose floorboard in that lishka. Very cool, the actual raiders of the lost literal ark. Tani uh, so now, Rebosha taught a brisa which says that the Kohen who noticed that, fo- that part of the floor was a little bit off, hit it with a hammer. So the way his version of the story goes is that a fire emerged and burned him. Uh, very, the Raiders of Lost Arky. Um, and so he put it into place, he dislodged it, put it into place. Great story either way. A couple more minutes. Let's talk about the function of the Aron. This is a, also a huge discussion. Did, did they bring it out into war? Which they did, which they didn't. Luchos Rishonus, Luchos Shnios. This is a, also a Machlokas Rishonim. But let's see the source over here. Tony, the Rishon says, Ibiuda ben Lakish Oimer, 
The same Rabbi Yudim by the way, before, who he holds that the Aaron stayed. So he says, Shnei Aaron, so he's Mahalchen and Yisrael midbar. How many Aaron did they have with them in the midbar? So he says two. Echad Shaisa Torah Nisuna Bisoko. There too is Machlokas. What do they mean by Torah? So apparently, um, this could mean, so this is either, was it a scroll? Mind you, did the Torah look like, like two, like the, the Ten Commandments with, out of stone? Or did it look like a Torah scroll? So Moshe Rabbeinu wrote a Torah scroll. Uh, and also there were, there was both. So what's going on here? So one had the Torah. So, okay. So, so, so most say that, so, so the Machlokas basically, whether that's referring to Moshe's scroll or to the Luchos. The Echad Shayu Shivrei Luchos in Sunbeil. The other the Shivrei Luchos, right, as we're going about to read about Shavuos. Right, calendrical coincidence because we're in Sphira. So Zesha, I saw Torah in the Sunnah that which had, let's say, the scroll or the first Luchos, or the second Luchos rather, the intact, Hayamunach Be'ol Moed. That was in the Ol Moed. Hadahu Dixiv, and that's what's written. That's the Aaron that didn't leave the Kerem Machanet. Last thing in the Ol Moed. And Zesha, you shiver Luchos in the Sunnah B'Sochah. And the other one of the shiver Luchos from Shavuos, they were, what? Hayamunach Be'ol Moed. They would go in and out with them. What? Where are they going? So that they would go to like war with, with the shiver Luchos. And sometimes it was seen with them. So we have a whole explanation. What is this? Sometimes. A big Machlokas over here. As to, did they go out into the, did they go out into war with them, or did they not go out into war with them? Uh, and we'll just finish over here where it says, so We're going to uh, pick up tomorrow with this idea of where did the Aron go? What was the status of the Aron, you know, when they were going into these war, into these wars? So we are uh, roughly eight lines up from the bottom on Tesla of Amabes, but Zadashem will continue here tomorrow. This is uh, literally right.